This is the Four Seasons of Epic Fantasy, Season 1, Episode 7. Well, the thing we're going to talk about today is why do we write fantasy versus anything else? Yes. Like, mm-hmm. why, why do we like it? What keeps us keep on writing it? What, what got us, you know, drew us into it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam, go ahead. Well, okay, so I think I've probably been a nerd from the very start. Um, I was actually really thinking about this quite a bit this morning, knowing we're going to be doing this later today. Um, so I, I started out as like you know like the typical like younger girl. I liked My Little Ponies. I liked David the Gnome. All those like early like late eighties, early nineties. David the Gnome. David the Gnome. Yeah. Have you guys ever heard of David <laughs> the Gnome? Oh my goodness. No, I love David the Gnome. That was like one of my favorite shows growing up. But it was so cute and like the, the art style was fantastic. You guys are gonna look at David the Gnome. Like he would go around and he'd help all the little forest critters and. One of my favorite shows as a kid. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, David the Gnome. Yeah. Um, but then, like, getting older, I kind of stuck with that, where it's like the other kids were going off and starting to play basketball or skateboarding. And I was like, they're watching Card Captor Sakura and other Maho shoujos and um, kept going with that. And then, like, other people started branching off. I just kind of kept with it and found books that were in that same area and I just kind of kept going and eventually I just wanted to start writing it because I love exploring the new worlds and uh, just the thought of creating something that like wasn't the same as what we have here. Um, something I've done ever since I was younger was like creating like new animals and something and that's something that's very heavy in my series that I'm writing which you've already discovered. Um, yes. Exp- New kinds of food, new kinds of language, dress, culture. Um, I thought the cat was a magic spell, so... Yes. I apologize. <laughs> You're okay. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, like, even, like, down to, like, different genetics, like, for example, like, in my, in my series, this in this world, like, blonde people don't exist. Instead, there's people with, like, lavender-colored hair. Um, mm. So... That's cool. Yeah, I thought so, too. <laughs> Um, so just kind of exploring how something could be like different from our world yet the same and then how those differences expand across different nations in the, in the world and kind of, you know, what, what would it be like if there was another world out there and you went like, what would it be like there? Mm-hmm. The trick is making the differences connect to the realities of our world. Yeah. Because you have just the, the hint of the real world and the things that we recognize, but then you just twist it completely on its head and do something completely different with it. And that's when you draw your readers and you're like, wait a minute, lavender colored hair? How did that work? You know, how, how'd that come about? It was the deletion of the black hair. See, now I want to know more. How did that happen? So I so you, you have just just the slight touch of our real world and then you just go on a completely different path. Mm-hmm. It's like a domino effect because, I mean, you, you throw... I mean, you, you create a generic shell of a world and you throw one piece in. I, I'm always a huge fan of Brandon Sanderson's uh, Mistborn trilogy mm-hmm. because, I mean, you throw in this one idea of, okay, um, whether it's the, the allomancy or, or just the, the ash falling from the sky and how does that affect the world? And as you're reading this story, you can tell that Sanderson had that idea, threw it in there, and just watched as it affected everything around it. And then everything that got affected, how did that affect everything just beyond that? And so, like... You watch this this progression of a world, and like like you, like you said, I think that that exploring that world or getting to an idea of how all these things started to play into each other is just a phenomenal experiment, mm-hmm. um, and and one that can really you can think about years after reading a book. Oh, definitely. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead. 
Oh, I was, I was just going to say, uh, on, on that note, um, one book I wrote, there's people in it who have um, magic powers, like, over, like, electromagnetism and, like, light. And so, actually, partially because of that, like, optics and, like, telescopes and things like that is able to, and, you know, electromagnetism and electricity is able to advance faster than other things mm -hmm. because they have easier access for, mm -hmm. you know, understanding and experimenting with it. So... Whereas other things like, like they have electric technology, running stuff, but guns are still at like flintlocks and muskets. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. that's something that's really interesting. So the way our history, our technology, our religions, and everything has developed has been from very specific um, discoveries, discoveries or points, historical points that have or or scenarios that have occurred. Like trigger points. Trigger points, yeah. basically. So. Why can't you have a histor or a fantasy novel that has had specific trigger points in throughout history that have led it in different branching paths? You can have technology in a fantasy novel, oh, yeah. but it can be something completely foreign with a slight hint of our understanding, you know, our, our recognition of it. But um, that's something that's really interesting to me is, you know, if you can create a steampunk fantasy novel or um, a sci-fi fantasy novel where you're, it's almost what you'd consider our current day, but it's completely different. Maybe they are still using swords, but these swords have some sort of technological advancement to it. I'm not saying like lightsabers, but I'm saying, you know, how did their technology develop from in different ways than, than we did? You know, how did, you know, you take a fantasy world, there's this endless storm circling one part of it um, that constantly causes chaotic um, natural calamities. How did that affect the religions, which affected um, technological advancements, which affected um, economics and policies and, and banking? You know, so then now you have ten million years later. How is this world like? completely different? Completely different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I do that with my book a little bit. You know, I love I love these historical uh, uh, action points or trigger points, like Nick said. You know, so. And I think. Okay, uh, good. Sorry, yeah. I think that's an interesting point because um, that can also kind of like play into like this world's magic system in a way. Yes, yeah. Because exactly. like, like for example, where, where I write portal fantasy, like um, the people in the world that takes uh, place and like they have no concept of electricity. They've never seen it before. Um, so then this person from Earth comes over and brings electricity and they're like, oh my gosh, what is this wizardry? Kind of, and like the same people, the people from Earth are thinking the same thing with their technology and they think it's like that it's magic and it's, it's not. It's just different kinds of like science and technology. What would be really cool is you see someone brings technology to this fantasy world, and then how, and the, the first reaction obviously is like, wow, what is this magic, this wizardry? But then throughout the next 10, 20, 30 years, how do they implement that into their yeah. own system? You know, and how differently would they implement that? It's like, oh, we, we don't have problem with, with lighting. We already have this, this type of lichen that grows on, our, on the roofs of our homes, so we don't have to worry about using like light bulbs, but we can use it instead to resolve this alternative issue that's just completely bizarre and different. You're like, whoa, this world is really cool. It's really unique. Mm -hmm. That's what happens in mine is uh, electricity becomes weaponized. There you go, man. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. That's as, awesome. as most new technologies are. Yes. <laughs> you weaponize it. But this, this brings up a good point, though, and, and, and probably worth mentioning, at least in passing, and maybe, maybe a future podcast to talk to you about more, um, but is this idea of the world-building spiral, that as a writer, somebody who really enjoys getting into these new worlds and exploring them, this can often be the thing that bars a writer from ever actually finishing or, or completing or publishing a, a story, is that they get... They have so much world fun. World builders disease. Yeah, exactly. World builders disease. I mean, they, they just love that exploration so much that that's really it. That they don't need to publish the book. They just want to stay in that world themselves. 
Um, they don't even need to ride the bike. <laughs> well, that's the people that you get that get caught looking at a wall drooling. <laughs> but but to be to be fair, I think I've never done it. When, when you've, when you've read has. when you've read fantasy for so long and you and you move to the the aspect of creating it, I think there's something really neat. And for anybody who's interested in writing a book um, and giving this a go, there's something about learning or exploring a new world and creating that world, and you you learn more about what. Um, what happens in that world? Um, you learn about the connectivity. There's a uh, Orson Scott Card, I think, who said that um, if you want to write, study the liberal arts or something. Um, and basically, what he was saying is study everything at hand: math, science, uh, art, culture, religion. Because like, yep. everything is is going to affect it. And when you start to write Everything's that, relevant. you start to realize everything is so tightly everything from connected. economics and banking. Oh, it's amazing! It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. So, so that kind of brings us. Connected to, uh, all this topic about exploring new worlds, um, not just creating worlds that are completely different from ours, but uh, making uh, experiences that are different than anything we can we can have here. First of all, um, I was going to uh, talk a little bit about the exploring the worlds because I I wanted to mention that Thomas has a timeline in his latest book that's pretty impressive. I have to post it on a website or something I'll for everybody to, to see it because it, it, it talks about how they use magic and it slowed down the technology increase and then they figured out how to use the magic in the technology and you had this revolution almost right. really cool process basically that is, that magic, basically yeah. magic cyborgs <laughs> but right it's, down it's, to the smallest mechanical part is like a piece of like magitech, like a piece of metal with a rune on it that does something with like. Well, I, I, I like the concept of revolution, mm -hmm. of of Renaissance style moments in history, like moments of dark ages, timeline. moments of industrial growth, and you you have cycles, mm -hmm. and I, I love I love the idea of a new piece of technology or some sort of event changing things to mm -hmm. speed up growth or to completely slow it down. Well, that, like, that, that, yeah. That's the sweet spot in history that you, you probably want to hit as you're writing is that transition of great growth to great decline or, great de or straight up decline to, to great growth. That's where, the, that's, a, that's where the clockwork calamity is right now that I'm writing in is this moment of shifting from these older uh, magics. I mean, it's more of an alchemy-based uh, style of, of existence. Shifting into this, you know, we've discovered this clockwork mechanism and this technology is just taking hold of this culture and city and expanding into the larger world, and to watch that shift. So you're going from a moment of dark age, just stagnation, mm -hmm. to a renaissance of, of new technology. And, and you watch one rise and one decline, and, and, and just to see like the effect that that has on the characters and the people who are, I mean, there are people, you have to recognize that if one is dis declining, uh -huh. then people are losing their livelihoods, they're falling out, they're, they're, mis they're, they're being forgotten. The alchemists, the, for example. Exactly, right? the, yeah. the alchemists in, in Etherspark. But then also, uh, there's others that are rising to it and, and getting that new experience of, like, you know, how, how do they uh, deal with the fact that suddenly they're superstars or, you know, whatever whatever it is. Yeah. Um, in, in mind that Jeremy was just talking about, um, like, 2,000 years ago, um, the people had been misusing the magic, and so basically, a god shows up Kills three quarter or kills more than half of them and takes away three quarters of their powers. Is this Infinity Wars? <laughs> <laughs> well, half the magic users. Um, let's just say they were making deals with demons. Um, anyway, and then after that, after so much of the magic is gone, that's when certain technology starts picking up because they're like, mm -hmm. they have oh, to know. 
we can't do X, Y, and Z anymore, so we have to figure more things out. And so the tech starts advancing. That's so. very cool. Um, and talking about experiences, I mean, the greatest part about reading or writing is, 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 is experiencing with the characters, uh, is experiencing the story. I, I enjoyed the Aladdin-esque feel of reading the chapter that you posted. Oh, it was fantastic, just rooftop to rooftop, running from the, the merchant that he'd stolen from. That's, that's cool. It was fun, Thank and you. I totally was able to escape and experience You don't just do world. that every, every other day, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not something I do. I, I, I jumped from rooftops before, but that was a long time ago when I was young. Apparently uh, one has my hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, and then just reading all of yours. I, it was really fun, just the craziness of the worm in the, in the dungeon, or not the dungeon, the mine. Uh, I just... I just the coal, the coal, the coal worm, or yeah, the yes. coal vat worm. The vat yes, yeah. that was that was incredible. Rocks. Yeah, nonnums rocks, people, people, whatever gets in its way, it just <laughs> numbs it. And so, and, and it's like the experiences, and the people are somewhat used to it, but some aren't. We were experiencing for the first time with your character that. Um, How often are you a slave boy running from a giant? You know, rock eating worm in a in a mine. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you still got to have a, a touch of connection back to your reader, though. It can't be so foreign mm -hmm. that your reader is just like, I I can't relate to this at all. An extra dimensional being working on you know, some te te technology. Well, that see, he was comprehend. scared. How that was that's a that's a way of connecting. Emotional connection, yeah, exactly. Um, that's how. That's how many how many of us have felt like we're running from something in a confined space and we can't just avoid it and we're just like barely staying ahead? I mean, it, it, if you break it down in just like what the actual experience, the base is, emotional to do list to work, even something, <laughs> yeah, exactly like a to do list to work. But even <laughs> even this you know phenomenal fantastical creature in this tight enclosure suddenly becomes relatable. I think that's one reason why it resonates. Fantasy continues to resonate with us is because even if it's this really foreign experience, it always echoes something that we've experienced. No matter how foreign it is, yep. you still have to develop your characters in a way that they are emotionally relatable to the reader. Exactly. Otherwise, you will not be able to connect to the book at all. You won't enjoy the book. Yeah. And so that's how fantasy connects. So, but to kind of delve a little bit away from that with escapism... Um, I do like disconnecting from the world. I still like having that connection, emotional connection, but I like disconnecting from the world to the point where I forget where I'm at. I like being to the point where um, if my if a car just drove right through my house, I would just be completely oblivious to it. Um, have you ever had any sort of book in your life that has completely just oh, taken absolutely. you out? I remember there was one time I was um, reading this book and out, like in the book, like there was this huge storm going on. The characters are trying to figure out, like prepare for it. And when I walked outside, it was sunny, and I was like surprised. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, I thought it was rainy today. Oh, that's just because it's in the book. I had this this <laughs> moment of insanity after, funnily enough, watching the first Chronicles of Narnia movie. And I've read the books like forever ago, but after I watched it, I had half a second. I was like, wow, they had a lot of non-human actors in that. And then I was like. What are you talking about? <laughs> the CGI mice were like, real. Like, like for half a second, I'm like, where do you get a centaur act? What am I saying? <laughs> just like half a second of like, I was just so, so <laughs> out of reality. <laughs> Growing up, I used to get in trouble 
for reading too much. I would, when I would get grounded, I would get grounded from the library or from reading. My friends would be like, no, you're going to go outside and hang out with your friends. I'm like, I don't no, I don't want to. Like, my no, friends are all from pages. Right, and I would be, you know, I would desperately search for a flashlight for batteries that night or any, anything that would give me sort of, uh, any type of light. Any type of light. I'm like, as desperate as it can be like, a, like a, a vanity makeup mirror and I'll just drag that under my under my pillow with you. Turn me. on your Game Boy to uh, use for a to while. To use for a while. Anything. Yeah. So I can, and I would just get sucked so deep into this book that next thing you know, it's like 4.30 in the morning and I'm like, oh, I keep falling asleep. Why, why is that? Oh my gosh, I gotta go to school in like an hour and a half. So, um, but having the ability as a writer, having the ability as a writer to be able to write a book that's capable of taking a reader and drawing them in so deep into the story that they forget where they are, that is the kind of skill that I want to be able to to hone and develop. That makes all the bills, you know. Well, even if it doesn't, and if I'm, only if I have a very narrow or small audience, if I'm able to take even a few people and draw them so deep into a story that they forget where they are, that is an accomplishment to me oh, as yeah. a writer. Um, because for me, that's the main reason I write as an individual, is I want to provide a level of escapism for other readers. Because, let's face it, we all get really tired of the politics and the, the drama of this oh, yeah. world. Mm-hmm. All day long, <laughs> we're always <laughs> daydreaming about being somewhere else. Yep. And if I can provide that for someone, I'm set. Well, I have achieved my goal. Actually, like one of my favorite things about like really good like character development is you forget these people aren't real. Mm-hmm. It's like and you get emotionally attached. You to do. Yep. Like I remember when Dumbledore died. Like I threw the book across the room and started crying. My aunt comes in. She's like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "I'm fine." <laughs> and she's like, "Do you need a chocolate bar?" I'm like, "No." Yeah, two actually. She goes to the no <laughs> That's how mad I was. And then I experienced the phenom- the psychological phenomenon of um, dissociation. I totally forgot Harry Potter number six because I was so mad about Dumbledore dying. Mm. Uh, I had to go back and read it. I didn't remember anything about it. I was super depressed when yeah, even Fred, way beyond like a read. Was it Fred who died? Yes, it was Fred who died. Yeah, I was. I was. I was, I was very I was sad. Torn, but I yeah. cried during that movie. So some what? spoilers here in case you've never read Harry Potter. Yeah, so a couple years late. But, you know. What do you think <laughs> causes? <laughs> what causes escapism to that level? Is it? Can you pinpoint one specific thing or a series of specific things that causes you as a reader, if you were just to view, view this as a reader, what causes you to delve so deep into a book that you just you forget where you are? Honest, honestly, for me, um, I feel like it really comes down to the protagonist or the hero or whoever, whoever it is that you are seeing the world through their lens. If you, if you can resonate with them, if there's something about them that reminds you of yourself, it's just enough to pull you that one step so that you forget about yourself. You, you're no longer yourself in that moment. You are you know, Vin in Mistborn, or you are Harry in Harry Potter or something. You just, you just feel like you're that person. And so when they're having, there's actually a really cool psychology that goes on when, when you're- Theory of mind, right? Yeah, where, where you can actually be seeing something or reading something that somebody else is doing and having this, the, your, your mind is actually having the same reactions. With, the same neurons are firing. That, you know, so, so Harry you know, is, is Fighting the basilisk or something, or, or you know, you have that moment where Dumbledore. The, the, the moment that the got me there Harry. was when when Harry has to watch Dumbledore drinking the potion. Oh, yeah. That was the that was hardest thing for me to do because I was so invested in who Harry was, and to have him idolizing this man, and suddenly to be, to have to to watch his his mentor 
sighs yeah. and, and suffer and to have to convince him to allow to, to convince him to suffer more on Harry's behalf that was that was so painful to me and it was be, exactly because in those books I had become Harry Potter yeah. I had become the protagonist and so if you have a and I've, I've done this in my own writing it's actually if, if you've ever I don't know if you guys have but you're writing your main character or something and you start crying like I've, I've had that moment a couple times where I've really gotten into my character and I can't separate the feelings that they're having in the moment with mine and so it I mean it breaks your heart every time but it's I think that's really what it comes down to is how how relatable is your character um, and this is actually you know to, to kind of put a, a contrary to that this is one reason why I couldn't get quite get into um, the more recent Star Wars films um, because as I watch those I don't feel like any of those characters have quite resonated with me um, on those levels. I don't I can't exactly pinpoint exactly why, but here's here's a question though. So although you have a target audience, uh, a niche group of people that you are writing to, mm-hmm. how do you make your character resonate on a more universal level so that you are able to get a large audience to resonate and connect with that protagonist to the, that deep of a level. For example with Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Harry Potter is niched towards uh, a younger audience, mm-hmm. a very specific younger audience, and yet you have adults that are completely different from Harry personality-wise and ideology-wise, and yet they are still resonating with him. Mm-hmm. What was the question? That's right. <laughs> just, I, I wanted to share a little bit, and that's, um, I don't think it's just the character in this case. Uh, if you talk about Harry, not that I've, I'm an expert on this, but mm-hmm. you're exploring a new world, He's having foreign experiences throughout those books. He's, you're able to escape into this world. Um, what we've been talking about, basically, you just go down the checklist and all of those things happen in that book. Um, a very relatable character. Um, incredibly relatable character. So it's not just that they did one thing and made this character so relatable. It was entirely the whole, the whole gambit. I mean, so cool. I mean, even the movie, seeing the little candle floating... It, or the candles floating in the in the dining hall. That was awesome. Uh, so cool. Um, so did you have a thought, Fiona? You look like you do. Yes. Go ahead. I would say it always comes to down to earning your reader's trust. Mm-hmm. Once the reader trusts you, then they can escape. Because if I'm reading a story and I don't believe that the characters acting rationally, or I don't believe that cars can fly, I'm not going to disappear there mm-hmm. and it comes down to earning that from your readers um delve into that a little bit for me what would you say is a great way you don't need to list every way but what would you say is a great way to earn your readers trust or for anybody if, does, if anybody has that idea that's a good as well. question that is a good question think about that for a second good beta readers <laughs> yeah yes exactly that's where a lot of concerns get I think, I think I think being able to develop sympathy I, uh, that, uh, for, for your character, I, I, you know, you, you have that relatability to your protagonist, but you have to somehow allow the reader to develop sympathy for your character. I, think, I think tragic backstories are good. Okay, I think, sorry. No, 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 you're right. That's, 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 a good, that's one good way to do it. Yeah. Um, another way that I was thinking about is, um, like, everybody wants something, and we have a reason that we want something. For example, because I was super vague, um, like, oh man, I'm trying to think of a good example. 
Um, actually, we use Harry Potter again. He <laughs> feels um, neglected and unloved. By some miracle, he's a nice person. I don't know how that happened. But <laughs> with the way he was raised. Um, so, like, the reason is he, he didn't get that emotional support from the Dursleys at all. And so, and you can see this in the books. Like, he, he's, he's, he's actually, in a lot of ways, pretty level-headed. But, like, you start talking about his parents or his relatives or, heck, even his relationship with, like, Dumbledore and Sirius is, like... He he wants a like a, 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 a caring person. parental connection. He's searching for it. Constantly. He's searching for it. And, and he found that with the Sirius. crazy thing is, is like he's actually he's kind of going along his life, and he's not even completely aware that that's what he's looking for. But that's that's a, like a, a desire that we can all relate relate to, even if we you know weren't you know raised under the stairs by a bunch of jerks. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that there's been times for just about everybody when, you know, their parents felt aloof or their parents weren't emotionally supportive. And so when you're talking about sympathy, it's, in my opinion, it's going to some root human need that we can all connect to. Like, we all want to feel important. We all want to feel unique. We all want to feel loved. That might be a, uh, another topic for a different podcast where we just discuss root human needs and how we can Ooh. use those to yeah well we can then at that point discuss how those root human needs we can incorporate those into characters to Ooh, allow yes, for sympathy yeah. to grow awesome. between a reader and a character that's a good point yeah. I, think, I think it's worth also mentioning um, in tandem to that to, to maintain a reader's trust because a sympathetic backstory I mean you can have that and still the, char- the, the, the characters characters like, and, right. and, I, and it, it's not less to do with the, the quality of the character, but more to do with just the willingness of the reader to escape into that world. And I think that comes from the integrity of your story. Um, yeah. Meaning, like, if you are, if you make a promise on something, or, you know, we've talked about world-building elements, if, if, if this aspect of a world influences everything else, and suddenly, halfway through, you just kind of, like, toss it to the side because it doesn't fit the plot anymore, and now you move on to something else, and you kind of break your own rules, or you break your own, uh, or go against the things you've set up. Especially if you make a promise, you know, uh, of, of what this character's life is going to be, and then later on you just kind of abandon it. Mm-hmm. And you throw it to the side, and you're like, ah, well, I, I, I want to go a different direction now. Your reader kind of looks at that and goes, well, goodness, I was invested in that. Why should I be invested in the next promise? Why should I want to, to go even further? So you got to be careful... As fun as it is to to throw all these things together, you still have to have integrity in your world. You still have to have integrity with your story and and not let it break itself apart. Which is really funny because I love the Redwall series. Mm-hmm. And for example, let's take just the first book, Redwall itself. Yeah, it's about mice and otters and shrews and rats and the main character, Matthias. He is a mouse. Yep. How does a human man like myself relate to a young Mouse, because that mouse is a person too. Yeah. It's the character <laughs> development of that person. But aliens are that... people. <laughs> Apes are people. Um, oh, robots that... are people. That's... It, it comes down. I mean, we're, we're, when you, like, we talked about that experience of like you have this worm going through this cavern, eating, you know, chasing down this. Bro- we're not that different. If you tear up like, any character, if you take Harry Potter or you take uh, Kelsier or you take, I mean. 
Caesar uh, from you know, Matthias. Matthias. Like, yeah, yeah, Matthias. Uh, you take any of those and you strip them down to their base needs or their base characteristics, and it's so universal. We're not that different. Everybody in this room right now, I mean, there's, there's six of us here, and if you think about it, probably there's, there's many parts of what we want and what we're aspiring towards and what we've experienced that just overlap. And maybe the details are different. Well, and, maybe, and maybe how we go to fulfill those needs, we might use different tactics. Exactly, yeah. So but, it might but be more predetermined to one thing versus the other. Right, but yeah. all of us want to, for example, succeed as authors. We all want, and we all have different visions of what success are, mm-hmm. and we might go about it on different ways, but we have that base need of recognition. That might be just the, the if you break it down to the most basic need. I think everybody wants to be recognized individualistically and appreciated, mm-hmm. um, whether that is by the masses or by a very specific group or by a specific individual. Well, you you so, can take it even further because you, you said everybody here in this room at least wants to be a successful author. But you can strip that one more and say everybody here just wants to be successful. And then you can strip that even further. Everyone wants to be Strip that one more time. Everybody just wants. Like the very fact that any of us want for anything makes us universally able to connect with each other. That's just, it's just, just an interesting, like, I, th- I think that's why. Well, there's, there's some interesting uh, psychology behind that. Um, if we didn't want anything or if we weren't in a constant state of, oh, I'm not happy right now, I need something else. The grass is greener. Um, then just talking evolutionary psychology-wise, the really chill people all got eaten by the tigers that were running <laughs> towards them. Like, oh, hey, look, there's a tiger. I'm good. Nom, 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 nom. Right. Or like, oh, hey, my stomach is rumbling, but I'm good. Dead. Um, there's a reason that we are driven to f- fill the holes inside. Like, like uh, and, and we have moments where we like achieve something. We're like, wow, that was awesome. There's our reward. And then that fades. Because if it doesn't, you know, we would You'd just be satisfied. We would sit on a couch and die. this has been the four seasons of epic fantasy season one episode seven to be continued